Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. I thank you for every people, every person who is here under the sound of my voice. Bless your people today like only you can. Take the scraps that I have, God, and feed the masses. Holy Spirit, make the hearts of your people fertile so that they can receive what you have for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several weeks ago, um, many of you know and some of you are unaware. You probably heard by word of mouth. And so you know what happens when you hear by word of mouth. It never is the true story. Some of y'all probably think I moved to Canada and worked at a hospital in Canada. Y'all got the hospital part down, but y'all get everything else wrong. But um, Several weeks ago, I had a surgical procedure um, performed that had something to do with my autoimmune disorder, uh, myasthenia gravis. And some of you know, many of you know, some of you don't know that I uh, wrestle with um, that autoimmune. It's a rare autoimmune uh, disease um, that I've been wrestling with. And myasthenia gravis is Greek for great muscle weakness. So uh, what happens is the antibodies, they say, fight against each other. It's a preaching in there somewhere. I just hadn't gotten it yet. But the antibodies are supposed to be helping my body start fighting against my body. And so they start fighting against it so much so that it makes my, um, my voluntary muscles tired and weak. And so voluntary muscles like my eyelids, um, like the nerves in my eyes that keep my eyes focused, like my arms or my, you know, my, you know, my legs and my feet and things like that. Uh, but it hadn't grown to the rest of my body. It is, it had been relegated to my eyes, but there had been some times on the Sunday, if you can remember, where I couldn't really talk clearly because my tongue was slurred um, because it started growing to my tongue. And me being of a younger age, um, I believe, um, Ray, Ray, you have myasthenia, don't you? But Ray, um, I'm not as quite as seasoned as Ray. And so uh, being that I'm st I still have a couple of days of youth left, um, I was afforded the opportunity to be a little aggressive with it. And so um, through this experience uh, in the hospital, the Lord revealed a few things to me, and I figured this would be a great way to kind of get myself back into the groove of things, but I figured that I can share with you some of the things that the Lord revealed to me while I was in the hospital. I want to teach today. Is it okay, though, if I don't raise my voice? I just want to teach from my experience in the ICU. But you got to come back next week. It's supposed to be been like three or four weeks, but you come back next week, I'll give you the B part of this and yes, I know next week it'll be connected with, the, with uh, Gideon, uh, but this week I just want to kind of just slow walk myself back into the groove of, of teaching, and I, I want to raise my voice, I want to read a little bit from my paper, kind of get back in the groove, and just kind of share some of the things I believe God had revealed to me through this experience. Um, but 
in order to have this procedure uh, to help my autoimmune disorder, the surgeons needed to go uh, into my chest. And so they had to saw my chest um, in order to uh, enter my chest and to get behind my sternum where my, um, what they call thymus gland was. And so they had to saw my chest open, reach behind my sternum and remove my thymus gland in order to um, have a successful procedure. Um, And so they had to put me to sleep and all that good stuff. They performed the surgery. Um, When I woke up, to my surprise, um, I was in the ICU. And in the ICU, to my surprise, I had two, um, what do you call it? I ain't been preaching for a while, so I got to kind of, you know, work my way back into it. But to wake up, I also had two tubes in my chest. And so I had one tube that was in my right lung and had another tube that was over my left heart because they wanted to make sure they were taking precautionary measures. My physician told me that they put the one tube in my right lung because um, they were afraid that they had punctured my lung while they were trying to remove my thymus gland. And they put the other tube over my heart, something about um, they wanted to make sure that if there was any fluid that it began to accumulate, that they were able to um, remove that. If they told me I had, they had to saw me open and have tubes all in me, I probably would have elected to just not take the, uh, the surgery. Um, but the thing about the tubes, when I woke up and when the medicine wore off, the tube that was in my right lung was so close to my back that it was touching my back. And just a little piece of it was touching my back that caused this pain that I'd never felt before in my life because there was, um, what do I call it, muscle spasms that began to go throughout my back that paralyzed me. I could not move because the muscle spasms were so uh, devastating. And it was to the point that it hurt so much that they, they gave me one, uh, one medication for pain, but that didn't do any, any good. I forgot the name of the pain. That, what was it called? Um, the morphine. You know, they give you the morphine, right? And so the morphine is supposed to... Um, coil the pain for a period but they was giving me the morphine and and the pain was still there and so they had to elect to give me something called uh, dilated see all you nurses and physicians and stuff y'all know what all that is I'm trying to be I'm trying to be as on point as possible because I know I'm gonna have a nurse or somebody come up to me and say that's not true so I'm trying to be honest because there's the preacher in me that wants to embellish just a little bit just so I can get a wow or whoo, ah, you know. So I'm trying to suppress that inner preacher that wants to just embellish the story just a little bit, you know. But um, it is true, though, that the lot is like five or ten times stronger than the morphine. 
And so they giving me the dilaudid, and even the dilaudid wasn't doing the trick. And so they got me on like three or four different pain medicines at one time. Now one nurse looked at me, and she couldn't she couldn't say it publicly, but she whispered to me. She said, "I'm afraid to give you all this medication." But my pain was so severe. I'm going somewhere with this. My pain was so severe that I didn't sleep for 48 hours. The pain in my back had me so immobilized and it was, I was trying to sit up and go to sleep. But my eyes just, I really could not rest because my back, and I'm so grateful for um, Kim Proctor. You know, she's a nurse practitioner, right? And so she was there and so, she like a bulldog, right? You know, she, she be smiling at y'all and she don't want to get up here. She's so soft-spoken, y'all, don't believe it. I was going through that pain. And you know, you need people in your life that'll fight for you, right? That'll look out for you and have your best interests at heart. And so they were not giving me the medication on the proper regimen because I was not supposed to be a period of time through the evening or through the day where I was just going through all this pain. And so she just started going in, you know? And so they started listening to her. And so the nurses in the hospital were just you know, you know, just listening to what Kim was saying. And so now they're putting me on a regimen that helped me to manage my pain. And so I appreciate uh, Kim, and i share more about that next, uh, next week. And I appreciate Keisha, too, because I didn't know she worked for Methodist, too. So she knew all the people and knew all the managers who were responsible for hiring the people who were fixing on me. So when they realized that she knew the people who had the power to fire and hire them, then they tried to give me a little more attention. <laughs> Amen, somebody. I was, so, I was so inebriated. I was so under the influence of uh, medication. You know, Keisha had to share her first lesson from the stage uh, that week. And so she was up there trying to go over her message, right? <laughs> Nervous. And so I'm listening to her give the message. And I was so kind of doped up. Forgive me for using the word. That's the only word I can use, y'all. I was so doped up that I was just going to sleep on. I was just, you know. <laughs> and so I'm talking to her, right? And so she's talking. And everybody saw, but nobody would dare confront me. You need people that's going to confront you and tell you the truth about yourself. Because she talking, and I'm like, yeah, what's that sentence again? <laughs> but that ain't it, though. I'm like this. And then I wake up, what's that sentence again? And I'm sitting up here. I couldn't control the fact that I was going to sleep. And I'm waking up mid I was go I was chewing gummy bears. <laughs> Which, which made, terrified my sister. I'm chewing gummy bears. Is it my sister's laugh? Yeah. <laughs> that dark-skinned lady. I, I, I knew that laugh from somewhere. And so I'm chewing gummy bears. Mid-sentence, I'm gummy bears. It's all in my mouth. And I wake up chewing gummy bears. Like, ain't nothing happened. And my sister, she mad at everybody. She like, y'all just going to let him just choke on the gummy bears? Because I'm... I'm under the influence. I'm just trying to get y'all to laugh a little bit before I make that turn. That's all. And so I'm, I'm, 
so doped up and I'm trying to have conversations with people that I don't need to be having, real life conversations, and she's trying to get her sermon prepared. I ain't the best person to help her with her sermon. <laughs> but I remember one thing though. The doctors eventually, while I was in the ICU, the physicians told me that um, they continued to emphasize that I needed to remain in the ICU because they needed to keep close watch over my organs because I had just experienced a traumatic event. Everybody say trauma. trauma. And so a few days later, and they said trauma, trauma, you know, because to saw your chest open and, and take your body through all of that is traumatic for your organs and you gotta, you gotta monitor them over the next several days and make sure they respond well. So a few days passed and, and you know, everything seemed to be fine. They were taking my vital signs and my blood pressure and my heart rate, and my respiratory rate and my body temperature. These vital organs that have the tendency to let you know the health of your body and how you're coming on the progress of recovering. Everyone say recovering. And so a few days later, they decided that they would allow me to go to a step down ICU. And so the one thing that they emphasized in this step down ICU was that my body needed to recover from the trauma that it experienced. And so I kept taking my vital signs, kept drawing blood and Everything seemed to be fine, and I was fine. And then they encouraged me because I needed to work out my heart. I needed to strengthen my heart. And so they said, you need to try to walk a little bit. It's going to hurt because you can't move your arms. You, you know, your chest had just undergone this, this trauma, but you need to walk a little bit. And so Kim decided to take me walking as we escorted uh, Keisha Aoi. I'm walking downstairs, you know, we doing the thing, you know, we walk from my room downstairs, we say goodbye, we walk back upstairs. And then walking back upstairs, we come to the room, I'm tired, I'm out of breath. So even now, I just got to try to get that strength back. And so, you know, Kim, every few minutes, she has a tendency, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I was just fine 10 seconds ago. I'm doing okay, you know. <laughs> Like she's checking on me, making sure I'm good. But I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a man. I respond. You know, we got this. I'm good. No. And so I get to the hotel, I mean, that hospital room. What I'm talking about? <laughs> get my vacation on my mind, man. <laughs> So we get to the hospital room. And so I go use the restroom. I look at myself in the mirror, come back out. And I deliberate it for a moment. Should I say something or should I just not? Because something just didn't feel right. And so I know if I told Kim this, she was going to overreact. I couldn't identify what was wrong. That's the problem. 
You know, you look a little stupid if you talk about something wrong. You can't say what's wrong. I can't tell you my knee hurt because it wasn't my knee. I can't tell you what was going wrong. So I just I looked at her. She looked at me. My eyes welled up with tears. And so she was like, what is it? So I tried to just chuckle it off him. Something don't feel right. I said, something's not right. You know, and she did what I expected her to do. (laughs) So she called the nurses in and said, he said that something is not right. So the nurses looked at me. I looked perfectly fine. And so they did what they supposed to do, and they took my vital signs. They checked my blood pressure, checked my heart rate, checked my respiratory rate, checked my body temperature, and everything said I was fine. And so they looked at me, and they looked at Kim, and they said, no, we took his vital signs, and it says he's fine. He looks fine. He's fine. So they left. And I'm sitting there in the, I ain't, uh, I'm sitting there in the hospital bed, and I looked at Kim again. I said, something ain't right. I need you to call the nurses back in here. So she called the nurses back in there. The nurses came in and they did what they do well. They, they got their information and they decided that they were going to um, check my vitals again. They took my blood pressure. They took my heart rate. They took my respiratory rate. And they, they took my body temperature. And they concluded after looking at me that he is, he's fine. Everything is, it's okay. They left out. I looked at Kim again. I said, you need to call those nurses back in because something is not right. I don't know what it is. Yes, they just went in my chest so my entire chest hurts, but my chest is numb because you have all of this stuff that they kind of infused in me so I wouldn't feel the pain. So I don't really know what's going on. I just know that something isn't right. So they called the nurses back in and the nurses Begin to do what they do best, and they grab. I said, you better not grab that vital thing and take my vital signs. Ain't nothing wrong. I, something is wrong with me. I looked at one woman because she saw me beginning to get angry. She said, I said, something is wrong with me. I need, y'all, I need y'all to call a physician or something. They said, but we looked at your vital signs. Do you not know that God could be trying to do something in your life and you will miss it because you're looking at the wrong thing? And so they looking at my vital signs and just because my vital signs look well, they assume that I was well. And God could be trying to do something in your life, but you're looking at all all the wrong, all the wrong numbers and you're assuming that God is not speaking. But God is trying to speak. You're just looking in the wrong place. And so I looked at one woman. I said, listen, I don't mean to tell you how to do your job, but this is hypothetically speaking. And I'm looking her in her eyes, and that's why I got her attention. I said, if I pass out right here, what you going to do? And you could tell she had just been on the job. She's very new. And so her eyes bucked because she didn't have a response. I said, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I need to know what are your procedures once I, once I pass out. Um, I said, you going to call a physician or something? She said, yeah, we're going to. I said, so there is a physician. I need you to call a physician in here right now. And so they went out in the hallway. They blew me off because they thought I was just under, you know, the drugs. And so after a while, about 30 minutes, nothing happened. I looked at Kim. She said, do I need to go out there and, 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 and do my thing? I said, you need to go out there and do your thing. 
So she went out to the hallway. She began to, to make a ruckus because they blew me off because they assumed that I looked good. And because the vital sign says I was well, that everything was okay. And so then they called the physician. The physician said he wasn't there. And he, you know, the surgeon, he said, but he's on his way, whatever that meant. And so they called the assistant physician. His name is John. John took care of me. And so they, she, Kim made sure they got John on the phone. I got John on the phone. And then John called my phone and said, John, he called my personal phone and said, John, listen, I look well. I get it. My vital sign says I, I'm well. I get it. But John, trust me when I tell you something ain't right. And he said, OK, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I believe you. I trust you. I'm going to order some some different tests so that we can get to the bottom of it. So they decided that they would. He, he, he ordered an x-ray x-ray machine to come in and it hurt. It hurt. It hurt badly. Yeah, I can say it hurt badly for them to take the x-ray. But I needed them to check to see what was wrong with me. They took the x-ray. Everything, according to the physician, my surgeon was well. So they took an EKG to, to, to check the, the, the electricity within your heart or something of that nature. And so they took the EKG and the EKG uh, looked particularly fine. So then they took um, uh, my vital signs again and they took an ultrasound because they wanted to see maybe if it's something in his heart, maybe something going on. But the ultrasound didn't show any swelling on my heart or anything, so they concluded that I was fine. About an hour and a half later, the nurses came in again. They left, and the emergency response team came in. It's supposed to be a nurse practitioner. This guy came in. I said, my chest is sore. He still came in. He put his, his uh, whatever, that stethoscope thing to my chest, and he said, I don't hear nothing. Everything is fine, and so he just left. The emergency response team left. Everything is fine. My surgeon came. He took his stethoscope. He looked at all the different tests. He said, the test said you're fine, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to your heart. So he listened to my heart, and he said, it sounds particularly, I don't hear any rubbing, whatever that meant, but everything sounds fine. And so he said, uh, the only thing I know to do is maybe call the cardiologist of the hospital and see what he's going to say, but I'm sure he's going to probably say the same thing. But everything is fine. Maybe we'll just get you something to calm your nerves. I don't need anything to calm my nerves. Something's wrong, and I need somebody that's going to pay attention to me. I ain't just talking. I said, my chest hurt. My heart hurt. I know my chest numb, but my heart hurting. It's a little sore. It's more sore than my, my, my right side. I, I, something is wrong with me. And so after calling uh, the top cardiologist, the cardiologist eventually came. And so you had the nurses. They came. They listened, heard nothing. You had the emergency response team came. They saw nothing. They heard nothing. You had my surgeon and the physicians that come. They saw and they heard nothing. But then the cardiologist entered the room. He was short of stature. He didn't have no papers, no clipboard with him. He didn't have any test uh, results in his hand. All he had was his stethoscope. So he came in. He did the same thing that everybody else did. So I was a little upset because I figured he was going to give me the same diagnosis, the same prognosis as everyone else and going to still apply the wrong solution. Because you do know if you diagnose or you misdiagnose what's going on, you're going to apply the wrong prognosis. And if you apply the wrong prognosis, you'll be applying the wrong solution. 
And so then he, he told me to bend over, and I can't move, man. And so he told me to bend over, and he listened to my heart, and, and he told me to lay back, and he listened to my heart. And he said, mm, what does mm mean? He said, when the surgeons went into your chest to remove your thymus gland, they didn't puncture your lung. But when they went inside of your chest to remove the thymus gland, they punctured the membrane around your heart. And therefore, they aggravated the membrane that is around your heart while they were in there trying to remove your thymus gland. And as a result, your heart is beginning to swell. They call it pericarditis around the heart. And so he said, don't worry, it's treatable. But if it went undiagnosed, it would have been fatal. I had something going on inside of me. The nurses couldn't do anything about it. The emergency response team couldn't do nothing about it. The physicians couldn't do nothing about it, but the cardiologist was able to do something. I felt like Humpty Dumpty. You know, the teachers Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. They teach us that all the king's horses and all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty back together again. But I told you once, I'll tell you it again, they didn't talk to the king. All the king's horses, all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty back together again, but the king could. You put a little weight right there. I know y'all tired. Y'all going to listen to my story. I told you, I just want to talk to y'all today. And so he said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to prescribe you something to treat your heart issue. So they put me on a regimen. He put me on a regimen of medications. He put me on a regimen of what he wants me to do every day from this day forward for the next 45 days to treat my heart issue. My heart was under, or it felt it was under attack. The nurses, they checked my vital signs. They said I looked well. The numbers said I was well, so I was well. There are a few things, I'm not going to stand up and stay right here. There are a few things that God taught me about how to handle trauma while I was in the hospital that I want to share with you. There are four or five things that God was trying to teach me about my experience with trauma. Number one, don't be fooled by the aesthetics. Don't be fooled by the aesthetics. Someone said, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Don't be fooled by how things look on the outside. Many of us, many people have dealt with trauma, but they don't look like they've dealt with trauma. You can, have, you can look good on the outside, 
but still have a bad heart. You can have money, but still have heart issues. You can get married. I know you've been asking God for a husband and a wife, but you can still have some heart issues. This is what I wrote. I want to make sure you get that part. Because when we deal with trauma, we have a tendency to be dishonest with ourselves. I mean, I looked in the mirror. I looked fine. I know people are going to say I'm overreacting. And so sometimes shame will shut you up. That's supposed to be my fourth point. Why did I just give it to y'all then? I got four points to tell y'all, not five. Because I'm sitting there, I'm standing, I'm like, I know they think I'm overreacting. I know they think I, I and I, I felt weak. And so I, should I say something? I, I, I've dealt with this and I, and I don't know because my heart, I, I, I don't, I, maybe I shouldn't say anything. But you can look good on the outside and have the world war taking place on the inside. I wanted to convince myself and I wanted to listen to those nurses who said, you're well. I wanted in my heart to be well and I was about to believe what people were telling me about myself. I didn't want to listen to what my body was telling me. I wanted to act like I was better than I was, but I am saying do not allow the aesthetics to fool you. Something is going on in your heart and you need to address it. Some of us have dealt with trauma in our lives and we just try to suppress it. Because you want to look good on the outside, but on the inside, if we just take an x-ray or we just find someone to look, the, the inside looks nothing like the outside. I'm saying we don't deal with our trauma. Well, we got a lot of people, or let me just say one or two people in here who have dealt with trauma. I'm saying you've been in a bad relationship, trauma. Someone has betrayed you, trauma. You've gone through that long divorce. Trauma, you've been laid off your job. Trauma, we've dealt with trauma in our lives and some of us still hadn't handled it well. And so here I am, my body is trying to recover from the trauma that has taken place in my life, but I was almost being fooled by how I was looking on the outside. I'm saying the, the incision looks okay, the numbers say I'm okay, I look well on the outside, I, I, I'm okay, no, you're not okay, and it's okay if you accept the fact that you're not okay, your heart is hurting. Your heart is tired from the trauma that you have experienced, you need to sit down somewhere, I say. But there's another thing I learned that God taught me about dealing with trauma in my time in the hospital. Be careful that you don't leave your heart in the hands of the wrong person. Be careful that you don't leave your heart or your healing in the hands of the wrong person. The nurses were trained to examine the numbers and they viewed things based on what they saw according to the numbers. But the cardiologist saw the same thing and he took the same stethoscope, but yet he saw and heard something else. But my initial problem was this. My expectation 
was that the nurses, I put an expectation on the nurses to see the same thing that the cardiologist was able to see. Follow me. But eventually I realized I can't expect for the nurses to see only what the cardiologist was able to see. I'm going somewhere with that. And the expectations, this is for someone, you have placed on some person or some people in your life have forced them to function outside of their jurisdiction. And so here I am in the hospital bed and I'm growing frustrated with the nurses, but the nurses were only able and capable and have the capacity to do what they were trained to do. And I'm upset with them because they can only see so much. And in our lives, when we deal with trauma, we have the tendency to put an expectation on people in our lives to be something to us that they were never created to be to us. I'm saying that there is a boyfriend that you have and he was never designed to be your fixer. He was never designed to be your firefighter you have an expectation on him to and you're forcing him to function outside of his jurisdiction Isaac I am saying the nurses they were only able come on down Isaac I know you're feeling it (laughs) the nurses their job description allowed them to go only so far But see, when the cardiologist entered the room, he didn't need any numbers. He didn't need any tests. All he needed was his stethoscope. And I'm saying someone in some man in here, you have a woman in your life and your woman was never designed to be your caretaker. She was never designed to be your mother. She was never designed to spoil you and make you happy. I am saying that woman in your life was designed to be your woman and not your caretaker. There's some expectations we are placing on people in our life and we're forcing them to function outside of their designated jurisdiction. Isaac, be careful that you don't leave your heart in the hands of someone who is in design to handle your heart. Don't leave your heart, don't leave your health in the hands of someone who does not have the capacity to take care of your heart. I'm saying it's your responsibility, Isaac, to fight for your healing. It's your responsibility, Isaac, to speak up because you have to fight for your freedom. You have to open your mouth and you have to say something. and You have to keep speaking and you have to keep fighting until you get what you need in your life. I am saying that you need to make sure that your heart, your healing is not in the hands of the wrong person. And now you're upset with the wrong person, but it was never their fault in the first place. You should never gave them your heart. They were never able to handle your heart. You never asked the right questions. You never looked them in their eyes and said, hey, what happens in this scenario? What are you going to do if this happens? Do you have the capacity? I knew when I spoke to the nurse and, and she wasn't able to respond to me that she did not have the capacity to handle what was going on with me. So I said, I need you to get the position because you can handle what is going on with me. I understand you're doing your job, so I can't be upset with you. And so the physician comes in. And even then, I understand the physician. He, 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 didn't ha- he wasn't able to see what I needed him to see. And it depended on the cardiologist to come in and the cardiologist. Specializes in issues and matters of the heart. It reminded me of that woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says in Mark chapter 
4 and Luke chapter 8, that she had been going through this experience for so long in her life. She had been bleeding internally, bleeding internally. See, the people on the outside, they looked at her. It seemed like everything was fine, but she had some internal bleeding on the inside, and she had this bleeding for 12 years. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 4 that she went from one doctor to two doctors to three doctors. She spent all her money, but the thing is, the doctors weren't able to handle what was going on on the inside of her. It wasn't until she found the true cardiologist, and when she found that cardiologist, what was going on on the inside, she was able to get taken care of. I am just simply saying to you, don't leave your heart. Don't leave your healing in the hands of the wrong person. I'm supposed to tell you, number four, don't allow shame to shut you up. Because many of, many of us are suffering from heart issues, trauma that we experience in our childhood. When someone violated us sexually, when someone abused us verbally, when someone said no man will ever love you, that, that was trauma. When some woman said you are not a man, you'll never be a man, that was trauma. When someone didn't love you and you knew you were capable of being loved and now you look in the mirror and you see someone less than yourself. I'm saying we're suffering from post-traumatic self-disorder because of the trauma you experienced in your life. And many of us, we're not talking about it because shame has shut your mouth. But that's what I love about that woman with the issue of blood, because when we check her out in the gospel, according to Luke, after she had hid for so long and, and then Jesus said, who touched me? And the woman began to hide and tremble, the Bible says, and, and, and Jesus told her, I need you to come and I need you to talk. And the Bible says that she began to talk and everyone began to listen what had gone on in her life. And it wasn't until she began to talk about what she had been struggling with for 12 long years that she really got the true healing that she was looking for. Because the Bible says she reached out and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, but then she was cured physically. But see, some of us, we got trauma on the inside, and it's not a physical trauma, it's an emotional trauma. And so the Bible says that she continued to hide even after she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and Jesus said, I need you to talk. And when she began to talk about what she had been going through, and the Bible says that the crowd of people began to listen to her. Then Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. And when you look at that word whole, it says that now you're made well. Now you have been healed and she had been healed from the internal, healed from the emotional trauma that she had been experiencing. And many of us, we're just stopping on the physical trauma. Lord, I need you to heal this incision. People can see that, but there's something internally and shame will cause you to close your mouth. And because you won't talk about how you were abused, because you won't talk about how you don't see who you really are, because you won't talk about it. You're going to remain in that same situation because you're afraid to talk about the trauma that you have experienced. Do not allow trauma to shut you up. Because I sat there, I stood there, and I pondered with myself. I said, should I tell Kim what I just, what I'm feeling? I'm getting emotional. I'm getting scared. 
can I talk to Kim and can I just tell her how I feel? I don't really know. And so what I, the next point is this. You can become so numb to your pain that your dysfunction will become your new normal. This is what God was teaching me about the trauma, the experience that I was having in the ICU is that, Isaac, be careful that you can become so numb to your pain that your dysfunction will become your new normal. Because when they performed the decision, they made sure that I couldn't feel what was going on with me. And so after I came out of surgery, my chest was still numb. I couldn't really, you could touch and I couldn't feel. And so I'm knowing that I'm aching and I'm hurting because my chest has yet been sawed in half, was sawed open. And so I'm hurting and more the numbness wears off, the more I begin to hurt more. And I don't know what's really I'm supposed to be feeling. I don't know if I'm supposed to be feeling this pain or if this is something I'm supposed to be feeling or is it something that is different. And so I'm numb and I can't really feel what's going on. And so it was a risk just to say it's something wrong with my heart, my chest I'm feeling it, but it's hurting, but I'm still numb, and there's a, num- a numbing sensation. And you can go through pain for so long that you experience pain for so long, and people mistreat you for so long, and people never call you pretty for so long, and no one ever uplifts you for so long, and you're in this position for so long that you think this is how you're supposed to be treated. You think the negative statements is how you're supposed to communicate about yourself. You joke and you're, you, you're very sarcastic and you always down yourself and you always say negative things about yourself and you think this is normal. This is your new normal. But the truth of, this, of the matter is you don't need to have the negative self-statements because your negative self-statements, I never do that. I'm so stupid. I'm, I'm just, you know, the negative self-statements reinforce your low self-esteem. I am saying that you can be in pain for so long that you become numb to it and you don't realize that this, this, this function that you experience is not normal. The relationship that you go in, it's not supposed to be inundated with arguing. The relationships you experience we need to be cussing each other out. The relationship that you go through doesn't need to be filled with sex at all. The relationship that you're going through is not supposed to be upside down where you're always giving and never receiving because you know that you got to give so that someone can love you. It's a transactional relationship because it's always been that way. When you're dealing with trauma, understand that you can experience pain for so long that accidentally it can become your new normal. And some of us are operating in a new normal, and I need you to press the reset button. Some of the way that you're communicating with people, the way you allow people to communicate with you is not the new normal. Press reset. The last thing is you can't truly recover from your trauma if you don't give Jesus access to your heart. You can't truly recover from your trauma if you do not give Jesus access to your heart. 
that woman with the issue of blood. When, we are, when that's preached to us, we often say she did the right thing. It was great that she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. It's great that she reached out and she touched Jesus, but it was according to her terms. She, she saw Jesus, she reached out to Jesus, and then the Bible says she was cured. But it wasn't until she allowed Jesus to reach out and touch her that she was made well. And yes, my incision was beginning to heal up. And yes, I was feeling better. But there was still something wrong with me. And it wasn't until I continued to fight and ask for the physician and the physician, yes, we need the cardiologist. And when the cardiologist came, then I was beginning to feel better. But the cardiologist doesn't come unless I ask for him. The cardiologist doesn't do what he needs to do unless I invite him in. And I'm saying for some of you, you're settling the fact that you feel a little better. You're settling because you don't feel the way you used to feel. And now you're not pursuing Jesus the way you used to pursue Jesus, but there's still some trauma on the inside and you need to allow Jesus access to your heart. It's one thing to be cured, but it's another thing to be made whole. The nurses... The response team, the physicians, but it wasn't until the cardiologist comes in. And some of us, all of us, we need an encounter with the great cardiologist. We need an encounter with Jesus and we need to invite Jesus into our heart because there's some situations you've experienced. There's some things that you've been going through and you're trying to handle it. You're trying to heal yourself. You're trying to make yourself better. You're remedying these things with relationships, with other people, with with alcohol, with other things, with sex, with other things. But you need to invite Jesus into, into your heart because there's some trauma. And nobody can handle but Jesus. Just some of my chronicles from the ICU. I want you to come back next week so I can talk about the B part to get a little bit more, a little bit more something. But be here next week. Uh, Yeah, be here next week so we talk about the B part of our time in the ICU. Lord, we thank you for what, your eyes, for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, and our hearts have felt. Bless us today, God. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, y'all.